All right. Well, good morning. Um, today is a really good morning, but it's also a different morning, I guess you could say. Um, in one, uh, Ben Crow, our pastor, isn't up here, so instead uh, you get me. Um, but don't worry, Ben is uh, ministering to the kids downstairs. Um, he's, a, he's a servant, and in many ways he serves up here, um, but it's neat to see the ways that he serves as well. Um, I was talking with my brother recently, and he and my other members of my family are visiting churches, and they're trying to find um, somewhere that uh, they would fit in with the body. And he said, uh, I've been really frustrated lately, because every time I go to visit a church, they have a guest, a guest speaker up. And me on the inside, I was like, I'm not going to tell them that I'm guest speaking this next week. So uh, I'm sorry if that is for you um, and, and that's your experience. But uh, hopefully uh, we'll hear from, from the word today and that that will um, uh, really impact upon our hearts. Um, secondly, uh, maybe if you're new, this uh, industrial rustic look really seems like something we're going for with the nice uh, plastic hanging from the ceilings. But uh, we're in transition and we're, we're watching uh, progress on our facilities, which is sometimes messy. So things are a little bit out of order. There's no walls. Um, we came in on Tuesday for Bible study and the lemons and rondelles and, and my family, uh, there were a few different ex emotions, experiences. Uh, the adults were all kind of like, this is so cool. Look what's happening. There's change. And uh, one of the little girls came in and just like shed tears because everything was changing for her. And then yet another little uh, one of our children was outraged and like furious. No, they're changing everything. And so uh, your response might be one of those three. But uh, I encourage you to realize that the Lord um, has been at work long before walls came down and, and ceilings got adjusted in their height and red carpet was torn up. Um, the, the things that we see in the lives of the people here at Orchard um, is how we see the Lord at work. And uh, as excited as we are to see the Lord providing the ability for us to change our space and, and allow it to uh, uh, effectively minister to, to different people, um, we're excited to continually see the Lord at work, and very little of that um, is tied up in any of this that's going on. So that's just a reminder for you um, to pardon our mess and, and just to dive deeper in what we're doing uh, as a church body as we pursue Christ together. Um, lastly, uh, I thought I wasn't going to get a mic this morning, and my teacher self was like, excellent. Teachers use their teacher voice. Um, and then uh, it reminded me of a story that uh, my favorite thing about teaching is going to teacher... Uh, workshops or, or whatever, and uh, oftentimes when they have teachers share out, they pass around a microphone, and as soon as they offer the microphone to the teacher who's volunteered to share, the teacher is like, oh, no, 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 I don't, I don't need that. You understand I have a teacher voice, and so, and then they proceed to not take the microphone and not talk loud enough for everybody to hear. Everybody's like, oh, those teachers, and we know because we are them. So I'm, I'm glad I have a microphone today. Uh, my teacher voice probably wouldn't keep up with all of you, but um, let's pray and then we'll dive in this morning. God, we are so grateful that your word is um, powerful, that it's living, and that it's active. God, that it affects us um, to the core, that we uh, can, can feel, um, we can sense, and we can understand, Lord, what you're doing in our lives, what you desire to do, um, and God, how we can respond to that. Lord, I ask that you would be speaking this morning, that we would hear from your word, and that we would um, change as we uh, understand it from you. In your name I pray, amen. Uh, 
So in September, a good friend and I uh, got the chance to go to a men's retreat in Colorado. Um, we took the day off of work on Friday. Our event didn't start till Friday night, so we were like, hey, let's leave Thursday night. We'll drive through the night. We'll show up in Colorado, and we can do something. But what do we do? And so uh, myself, liking hiking, uh, enjoying it, thought, well, we're in Colorado, and I've never done the Manitou Incline. And I don't know how many of you have spent time in Colorado, um, but the incline is a very short hike. It's about a mile long. But in that mile, you climb over, it's basically climbing up steps the whole way. Um, and it's 2,700 steps, and you climb up over 2,000 feet in, in just a mile. So this little easy mile trek was like, yeah, that's not easy. So it's, it starts out similar to how you see in the picture, and, and it's certainly uphill. But we were shooting for the red circle up at the top. And as we went, uh, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't as easy as I'd hoped that one mile uh, felt like six or seven. Uh, yeah, so um, as we were driving there, uh, I realized on that overnight drive that I really missed my family. And my normal weekend off of work that I could come home and spend time with them, I was giving to, to go do this men's retreat and spend time with a friend. And what made it harder was that my son, shortly before I was leaving, comes up, and he's three and a half, and he said, Daddy, I'm really going to miss you and the time that we get to spend together. And I was like, oh. And so I decided that if we were going to do something and, and my weekend, I had to include my son the best that I could, and I wanted to let him know that I thought of him and that I wished he was there with me. Um, so as we, uh, about halfway up, I almost toppled right off the side of a step because Apparently, I wasn't drinking enough water, or I'm simply just that out of shape. And uh, we started to go a little slower, and uh, I think well over an hour after we began the hike, uh, we reached the top, and the, the way down was much easier, and I was thankful for that. But as we got ready to leave and hop in our car, I said, let's, let's stop by the gift shop. I want to get something for, for Declan to know that I love him and that I wish he was there. Um, so we stopped at the gift shop. And my son, Declan, be has begun collecting postcards. So uh, we like to travel and take him places. So he collects his postcard, and we let him pick out a postcard, mostly because we're cheap, and we don't want to collect stuffed animals. So uh, I figured, man, I'm going to get a postcard for Declan. Uh, I knew that was the right thing, that I could share the experience with him. And as the time went on over the weekend, I was just like, man, I'm excited to go home and share this with him and give it to him. And, and I'm sure he'll love it, I hope. Um, so we left a little bit early. We came back from our retreat, and I got to share um, with Declan um, and see Hannah and Isley as well. And I got to give him his gift. So I'm not telling you this story because I think I'm a great dad or to boast about my love for my son um, or in my less than impressive uh, hiking feats, uh, but rather to bring up the topic of uh, how we respond to God's greatest gift to us. In a similar way that I offer that postcard to my son, God offers us the result of his labors. And how we respond to that really does matter. Our topic um, for today is gratitude. Uh, gratitude as a response to God's grace. And my goal, uh, I guess, isn't to convince you so much that you ought to say thank you more this week, uh, which isn't really my task. So hopefully you do say thank you more this week and you get a chance to in your time spending uh, with family over Thanksgiving, but rather I want you to consider how we in our inner beings 
live a life of gratitude that doesn't get limited to a week, that doesn't get limited to a time that's set aside to say thanks to God, but that in our, in our hearts and in our actions, we express gratitude in response for God's grace. So we're going to spend our time this morning in 2 Corinthians 4. Uh, we'll start in verse 7 and then go through verse 18. Um, I'm going to refer back to it, and in a lot of cases, the words won't be up on the screen. So they will be now, so feel free to read along um, using the screen, but then later, uh, if you have a Bible and want to open it up, that's great too. Um, so just just for your info. So let's get started. Um, 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Yet we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Uh... I alluded to this earlier, but I am a teacher. I teach in middle school. And in college, I was studying education, and they said, hey, here's a humanities credit. Pick something to study. And I was already studying history, and so I didn't want to take necessarily another history class, but I decided to try something a little different. And so I took an introduction to logic class in college, and uh, it would suffice to say that my peers were not there, uh, that it was a bunch of mostly computer engineers or uh maybe programmers, so computer engineers and programmers, and then also business majors had to take the class. And so you had a variety of people who were like, this is way beneath me with the, the computer programmers who were like, this is so low level. And the business people who were like, I'm just taking this because I have to. And then there was me who was like, I love this stuff. Give me more. Uh, and one of those things that I was interested in was truth tables. So I'm going to share uh, truth tables with you. And for those of you who know uh, logic far better than I, uh, pardon my, my mistakes. But uh, my teacher in that logic class had a fascination for some reason with Winnie the Pooh. So all of her examples came from Winnie the Pooh and the Hundred Acre Wood. So I'm going to use one today as we look at if-then statements. So if-then is also referred to as a conditional statement. And a conditional statement means that if this happens, then this happens. But if this doesn't, it doesn't matter what happens. And so looking at this example, that if there is honey in a pot, then Winnie the Pooh will eat it. Okay, we know that if there's honey in the pot is one option, or maybe there won't be honey in the pot. So that might be honey or no honey. And then Pooh might eat it or he might not. The statement doesn't matter 
if we go and look and say there's no honey in the pot. It doesn't matter what poo does then because our conditional isn't met. So we can kind of throw that out. Uh, our statement deals with when there's honey in the pot. Okay, so looking at the top two, then poo can eat it. Okay, and that makes the statement true. It resolves the statement. But if there's honey in the pot and poo doesn't eat it, then we've got a problem, okay? So now I'm gonna relate this to something that matters, not just Winnie the Pooh. So uh, next we're gonna look at from verse 15, uh, the statement that if God extends grace, then we ought to respond in giving of thanks. And so we know that if there's no grace, then it doesn't matter what we do. We can say thanks, we can show gratitude, or we don't have to. Um, and that's still true because the initial statement wasn't. But if God extends grace, then the natural response, the right response, is that we respond in giving of thanks. So despite the fact that I said we're talking about gratitude this morning, we're actually going to talk about grace this morning and gratitude as the outcome of that grace that's been shown to us. So we're going to start this morning with grace and it serves for the reason of gratitude. It's the if that's needed for the then of gratitude. So our first point is that God's grace is abundant and available to all. Um, moving back to verses 13 through 15 of 2 Corinthians 4, it says, But having the spirit, same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people they cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Um, we often sing of God's grace. And so I was thinking of some songs that we sing that talk about God's grace. Um, we know that grace is greater than our sin. We know that grace is enough for us. That it saved a wretch like me. That grace is God taking my place. And that grace has the power to set us free. Um, and so those things are true and we sing them. But as we look at grace, um, I wanted to look a little bit more closely uh, at what grace is, not just what grace does. Um, so grace is often defined um, as God meeting man where he, where man is, God meeting man where man is, in order to bring man where he, God, is. So God meeting man where man is, in order to bring man to where God is. Um, we see this clearly displayed. Um, when I think of grace, I think immediately of Romans 5 uh, and verses 6 through 11 say, um, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we should be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. God gave of his very self. Um, he gave his son, Jesus, to offer us a gift that we don't deserve. Um, a lot of you have heard this before, and that's great, and I'm glad you have. Um, but God gave us the chance to be made right with him, and that's where grace is extended to us. Um, so my story at the beginning about my postcard, we're going to refer back to it a couple of times, but it kind of misses the mark, so it's not a perfect correlation, so 
don't dwell on it too much, but it gives us a, a view of how we respond to God's gift. Um, in that, I had a gift to give to my son. How he responded to that postcard had the power to like absolutely crush me and say, ah, dad, I don't care. Or absolutely delight me um, because I'm so shaky and dependent on circumstances. And this is the flaw. God isn't changed by our response to grace. God is unchanging. He remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. Okay, so God isn't, isn't there depending on our reaction or um, the way that I was on my sons. But just as I would show sorrow over my son saying, Dad, I don't really want that gift. The Lord does the same. Um, in 2 Peter 3.9, it says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. He yearns that we'd experience his fullness. He wants us to accept that grace. So much so that he sent his son for us. So God doesn't change, but he desires that we'd accept his grace and experience fullness. Conversely, on the other side, if my son responded, Dad, this is the coolest thing. I'm going to keep this around. I'm going to put it up on my bed, which he did. It was at the foot of his bed, and every time I'd walk into his room, I'd see his postcard right there. Um, I'd be delighted about that. And it shows the same uh, about God in Matthew 18, where he, he's talking about the hundred sheep, and one of them has gone astray. Um, wouldn't he leave the 99 on the mountains and go and search for the one that is straying? If it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the 99 which have not gone astray. So it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones perish. God shows utter delight in those who choose to follow him. So he desires that we would, and then when we choose to follow him, he's delighted over that, the same way that I would be over my son liking my gift that I've given him. Our second point for this morning is that true value or satisfaction, you can use either one. True value and satisfaction comes in life from accepting God's grace. Um, so looking back at our truth table, okay, we know that the if is good to go, that God does extend grace. Um, we know that that's true. But when we look at the then of our responses, where do we fall? Do we see ourselves uh, expressing thanks, being grateful for that gift of grace? Or do we see ourselves not really expressing that? So looking a little bit more deeper, each of us must deal with the fact of how we respond to God's grace. There are really two options. We can accept it. We could not accept God's grace. Um, so I'm going to talk to each of those things. First, some of you might not have accepted God's gift. Um, maybe it's because you haven't recognized it before. You've never said, wow, this is for me. Uh, my son... Maybe if he didn't know the postcard was for him, he wouldn't take it. And so the reality is some people don't know of God's grace. They don't see it portrayed. And when they do, they accept it. Some of you may know all about it, but you don't want it. Dad, uh, that postcard's fine, but I don't really want it. It's just more junk that I'm going to put on my shelf. I don't really want that. Others might struggle to believe that in your circumstances that God's offering anything good in grace. Dad, you were gone this weekend. How's your postcard any consolation? And we get to thinking that way about God's grace that it can't make up for the hard things that I've dealt with. 
Um, For each of you, if you haven't accepted God's gift, it's available to you, and he longs for you to accept his gift and the freedom and value he provides. For those of you that struggle to see that God's grace is good, I want to encourage you to keep listening, to not check out. Some of you and many of you fit the other category. You have accepted God's gift. But our response that to that gift, to God's grace, changes over time. And so I wanted to look at different possibilities of where you might be in having accepted God's grace. Uh, First, excitement. Dude, look at what my dad gave me. Showing that grace off and, and saying, look what the Lord has done to save me. Sometimes we're there in responding to God's grace. Other times we respond to God's grace and show it off when it's convenient. Oh yeah, that postcard on the shelf. That's cool, huh? And we allow God's grace to be something that comes up occasionally. And then maybe we're disconnected from it. We put it in that junk drawer um, and it's there at the bottom. And when we find it, we're like, oh yeah, remember that time when I was four or five, 20 years ago, 30 years ago when I rested upon God's grace? Yeah, that was really great. But maybe it hasn't been something that's fresh or real since. So we're not off the hook once we accept it. It's how we respond to it and the priority that we allow it to make in our lives to constantly draw us in and to satisfy us that matters. We ought to be the kid who's waving around that postcard saying, look what my dad gave me. Look what God has done for me in my life to redeem it. Our third point is that we exceedingly glorify God when we live grateful lives. We exceedingly glorify God when we live grateful lives. Um, Let me start by uh, saying that probably the major destroyer of gratitude, so without actually telling you what gratitude is and what it looks like, addressing what it's not and and what kills gratitude um, is self-pity. Our rampant, poor view of our circumstances undermines our ability to be thankful to God for his indescribable gift. Um, In the example of my son, sure, Dad, I'll take the postcard. But if you really knew me, you would have given me Cars 3 because I love Cars 3. Why didn't you care about me that much? What did that postcard even cost, like 50 cents? Yes, it did. Um, And then to look at the people around us. So in reality, uh, those people at work uh, saying something like, Our computer systems can't keep up with my exceptional high volume of productivity. Ah, our company stinks. Or, my wife is inconsiderate of my need to watch football on Saturdays. I'm not talking about your people at work. I'm talking about us, who are recipients of grace, that still venture into complaining about our circumstances and allow those to to root us in self-pity. So I'll start with me, rather than pointing it at you. Uh, Let's look at my life. Hannah, why can't you have food ready exactly when I'm hungry? 4.30 p.m. is a reasonable time to eat. I got home from work and I am hungry. Kids, leave dad alone. I need some veg time. I work around kids all day. Poor me. I'm the hardest worker at my job. I get here at 6 and I leave at 4.30. Why do they keep asking me to do more? I already do enough. I'm the best teacher that there is, okay? Let me be honest. Where is my recognition? 
I was recognized this week as the teacher of the week, which they just go from one teacher to the next and say, you're teacher of the week. But I was recognized, and my first thought was, everybody else got a Twitter post, and they came in with, in their room, and they brought balloons and gave them a gift. Where's my gift? Where's my Twitter post? Uh, and I'm so concerned with, where's the stuff for me? What about my circumstances? Don't they matter? And maybe you can't relate exactly, but where do you give in to self-pity in your life? Where do you look so much in your circumstances that you start to feel bad for yourself in spite of the grace that's been extended towards you? Paul's not uh, mystified by this weight of life. He's not surprised that people would be overwhelmed, that people would be affected by the things that are difficult for him. He says in verse 8 and 9 of our passage, we are afflicted in every way, perplexed, persecuted, and struck down. It's not a mystery to him that life is difficult or, or that we'd be overwhelmed. But if you notice, I said that's kind of the verse. But in reality, he adds in the text, um, these things don't stand alone. And he says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. I, I, I left off a slide you can move on because it'll add it. Thank you. My bad. Um, we are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not despairing. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Um, your circumstances, the things that you find difficult, don't need to leave you in a rut of self-pity and despair, looking at, woe is me. Look how hard things are. We're offered a, a way out of this through the muddled state through a constant dependence on the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Paul continues on to say, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. This dependence on life which is in Christ allows us to live a life of gratitude. We don't look at our circumstances. We look at the grace that God has extended toward us. And that changes the way that we look at our circumstances. Verse 16 through 18 continues on to say, Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So where do we go from here? How do I live intentionally a life of gratitude? What can I do about it? The first thing I'd recommend or suggest is don't let your circumstances control you. Watch what comes out of your mouth. Avoid complaining. And when we complain less, we look at the good that's within our lives that God has, has granted us with. Uh, anything that comes out of our mouths comes from our heart. So don't just stop your mouth, but look at your heart. Don't let your heart become troubled like Paul suggests. Don't lose heart. Remember that God is who he says he is. And that leads to the next part. Keep your eyes fixed on Christ and eternity. Our success, our salvation, 
has nothing to do with our merit and anything that we've done well. Uh, it's actually opposed to it. We can't do enough to receive grace. And so as a result, don't abandon it. Don't abandon grace. Don't start to convince yourself that I can achieve this. I can do anything on my own because the reality is we can't. Attribute to Christ what is true. Remember those things, that he loves us, that he desires good for us. He's in control, that he's working eternally, not just in this situation, but for eternity. And thirdly, I encourage you to allow a right view of God's grace to transform your circumstances. Verse seven says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that their surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. Our lack of power actually reminds us of God's grace. It's not the opposite. It's not that when we act in power or we see amazing things happen, that that's when we remember grace. It's the exact opposite. It's when things aren't going well and our circumstances don't feel great that we remember grace and we remember that the power that was within us is not dependent on us, but it's dependent on the work that Christ did on the cross. So speak boldly of God's gift. Don't forget about it or lessen the importance or put it in your drawer to come back to you later, but keep it on the forefront. Um, this morning, I don't know why, but the Lord kept me thinking about the, the song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. So I'm going to read the lyrics. Um, and I want to encourage you to, to think on them as I read them. And I'm sorry they're not up on the screen, but um, you're welcome to look them up like I did on my phone. So uh, it starts with in the first verse. O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Second verse, through death into life everlasting, he passed and we follow him there. O'er us, no, or us, sin no more hath dominion, for more than conquerors we are. Third verse, his word shall not fail you, he promised. Believe him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying, his perfect salvation to tell. As you guys and as we enter this week together, that includes plenty of family time. Don't allow your gratitude to be limited to that 10 minute moment before dinner or after dinner where you remember God's goodness. Allow it to affect your life. Uh, for more than this week. Let a right appreciation of God abund God's abundance grace result in its proper response. A heart that moves beyond self-pity and into utter dependence on your good Father who transforms your difficult circumstances into abundant life. Show that postcard off. Let people see the joy that comes from following and walking in grace. We're going to pray. Um, it's really uncomfortable for me to sing, but I feel like I'm supposed to sing. So if you want to sing with me, <laughs> you're welcome to. And if you don't know the words, that's okay. But um, we're supposed to pray, and we're supposed to pray in honesty and attribute to what God, what is right, and what is true. So let's pray. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. 
And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. God, we are thankful for your son, Jesus. We're thankful that you offered his life and his death and that you defeated death in the process and invited us in, Lord. We pray that, that as many of us are on the fence of grace, whether it's to accept it in the first place or, or to walk in light of it, God, we ask that um, you'd give us that nudge, Lord, that, that we'd rest on grace and, and rest on what you've offered us and uh, move past the things that are holding us back. Help us to know how we cheapen your grace through a dependence on our circumstance and a concern in our circumstances. And God, help us to um, look to you in those circumstances, to be concerned with your glory. God, help us this week as we interact with our family. Lord, help us to be people who reflect on you, who communicate your love to those around us.